There it is, Scott. All is right in the world right here on Fantasy Baseball today because it's a Kokomo Friday. I (laughs) threatened. I threatened Adam Azer. I said, hey, you, get me that music. I didn't say anything like that whatsoever. I'm like, can you just please send me the music so everybody stops yelling at me? But now we all are in a happier place. Actually, this does that music really does kind of set the tone, I think, for a Friday and a coming weekend. I like this. You're, you're playing it off like we're actually hearing it, which is exactly the way to do it. A theater of the mind, Scott. I'm I'm all about that. You did just break the fourth wall like Deadpool, but I can still appreciate that. It was <laughs> theater of the mind is what I was going for. Uh, how are you doing, by the way? We're going into a weekend. Um, a ton to cover. A guy that I've been kind of railing on a little bit had a little bit of performance today, which I want to talk about. We're going to hit two starts. We're going to talk about the most added players but I'm just curious how you're doing. I see you're in the beautiful CBS studios right now in one of my favorite spots, and I know you've got some um, some playoff rosters that hopefully extend into next week. Yeah, I'm in the Canel and Bell studio, so if things are misplaced when people show up here tomorrow morning, they, they I've now outed myself. They know who to blame. Yeah. That you did. It's like the third wall thing again, like outing that we weren't actually listening to that song. I'm just, I'm too honest for my own good, yeah. apparently. And I don't remember the actual question you asked me. Uh, How are you doing? How are your playoff runs you're about to step into? We're going to be covering a lot of stuff. So I just I wanted I wanted a little bit of a minute with you before we just go. I'm neck deep in my playoff runs. I am. I've been eliminated in one league Mm. playoffs. I'm still still alive and kicking in the others. Uh, and we'll see. We'll see how that goes. I think I'm winning both my matchups. I know you said this in the last episode, but. I get a little superstitious talking about being in a lead. I actually, I almost prefer I'm in a more comfortable spot when I'm losing and I don't graciously be like, well, we'll just see what happens. I'm like, nope, I lost. It's over. Season's done. Hey, congratulations, guy. I'm so happy for you. And then I tend to come back and win. And for some reason, that works better than what I feel. I feel as soon as I start telling you, which I have two keeper leagues, if I tell you how I'm doing, especially if I'm doing something abnormal, I feel like I've just set the jinx to my team. But we do know that you don't believe in any such thing like that. And, and now we know that you do, which you seemed noncommittal on yesterday, because that is just ridiculous what you're what you're saying right now. I, you know, I couldn't think of exactly where it was, but it hit me because I was thinking, well, if you ask me how I'm doing, I don't actually want to say because I'm afraid <laughs> I'm going to I'm going to put some bad juju on a specifically one of the teams where I'm uh, I'm in a spot where I probably shouldn't be right now. And if I say it into the world, I fear I am going to get the hex on my team. And I guess that is ridiculous, but not according to some listeners, by the way. We do have a question about it, but you are a staunch no superstition guy. Correct. OK. All right. Uh, well, let's get into all the stuff and all the things on this Kokomo Friday. And I just had to open it up right off the top. We officially got our Kyle Tucker bomb. Hit his first homer of the season. He was in the lineup 
not in center field, by the way. Springer is out for the next couple days. Probably not until next week is the expectation. And um, Kyle Tucker was in right field. They moved Josh Reddick into center, who, by the way, Reddick had three hits on the night. But Kyle Tucker, yeah, yeah, he hit a homer as well. I think his 11th. But Kyle Kyle Tucker opened it up, hit that home run, and really just kind of put it right back in my face when I was trying to question his value for the rest of the season. Yeah, I mean, he went one for four, and we don't know. He does, Springer actually does have a concussion. So, well, they're saying they hope he'll be back back next week. Who knows? You know, Um, but uh, we don't, we don't, we still don't have a lot of evidence that Kyle Tucker is good at Mm -hmm. the major league level. And I, I still think it's fair to say with less than four weeks to go that we won't have enough time to be convinced of it. Um, I think. I think the leagues where you have to own Kyle Tucker are five outfielder leagues and the leagues, you know, 12, you know, it it doesn't necessarily have to be like a deep 15 team or five outfielder league. He's worth having on the bench, if only because uh, it keeps them, it keeps this lottery ticket out of somebody else's hands. But will there come an occasion where you are actually starting him yourself? I'm, I'm kind of skeptical of that. But we'll see. Maybe he'll have a great weekend series and he'll be an obvious start next week. It's certainly possible. Yeah, I'm still pretty uh, skeptical about it. I mean, you know, them not putting him in center. I saw him work in center in 2017 in the fall league, but then they never really moved forward with it. And then he's just gone into working first base. I don't see that as the best sign in the world that they had to move him to right and Reddick went to center. I also just still have my season long questions, but... This and and you're right, by the way, we're not going to have enough sample size to truly know who the guy is through the rest of this year. But this was the type of thing that needed to happen over this next stretch of three or four games, I believe, to make him relevant through any type of a stretch run. Now, will it actually amount to anything? I don't know. He was one for four. He's not making a ton of contact, but he did hit it off a lefty, which I thought was interesting. I mean, it was just a floating curveball in and he mashed it, but this is enough to buy yourself some time where maybe he's going to be relevant enough to keep rostering out there, but you kind of set the parameters of like five outfielder, right? Yeah, I think so. I think three outfielder leagues are just, uh, the, the need for outfielders across the league isn't wide enough that, um, that Kyle Tucker, I would expect to be a game changing type player, even if he's great, even if he's great, there's just more great outfielders than I think can be started in a three outfielder league. And uh, of note, we're recording around 7, uh, 11, 7, 11, 30 uh, p.m. Eastern, and the Mariners and Astros are still going. They're actually in uh, extra innings, so we'll let you know if Kyle Tucker does anything else amazing. One thing that everybody is in need of right now, not only an advancement in the playoffs, is pitching. Pitching is always at the top, and these Friday shows, we are always going to hit the two starts. We'll obviously talk about most added, both hitting and pitching, but pitching is the thing that people are trying to get ahead of. So let's spend the next couple minutes talking about said pitchers, and it's a very interesting week. There's a lot of top-end names that have got two starts. There's this not super crazy deep middle tier, and then it just falls off. So I would say that there might be a lack of great, great options. Maybe you'll tell me otherwise, but I'm going to give you a couple pairings and I want to see where you're at as far as two starts for next week. And here are the four. They're all between 45 and about 60% owned right now over on CBS. You've got Jordan Lyles, who in his last start went six innings, gave up two, struck out two. He's got Miami and St. Louis. John Means' business was 55% owned, six and two-thirds, two earned runs, four strikeouts. This was on Thursday. It was his third straight quality start. 
He's got the Dodgers, and then it looks like the Tigers. Trevor Williams, who's 49% owned, he went six, tour and runs, struck out six against Miami recently. He's got the Giants and the Cubs. And finally, our guy from yesterday, Jake Junis, who's 46% owned. He's got the White Sox and then Houston. So again, Lyles, Means, Williams, Junis, all between 45 and 60% owned. Who are you going to let take you down the road of championship runs next week, if any of these guys? I don't think there is a strong justification to start any of them in a league where you're looking to preserve ratios. I think you're better off going with a middle reliever if that's what it comes down to. If, if you don't have good enough starting pitchers on your roster, you know, if you're looking to preserve ERA and whip, so traditional five by five league, and maybe you're not, maybe you're looking to catch up in wins or strikeouts. That's fine too. Uh, you have to, you have to gamble the ERA and whip in order to do that. And I understand it. I, I think that this particular foursome, Lyles, Means, Williams, Junis, each of them has one excellent matchup and one not-so-excellent matchup. They are all very borderline. Like, I struggle. Th- those four tiers I have when I'm putting together my two-start pitcher rankings each week, they're right on the fringe of being possible options, at least in a points league, or just I don't want anything to do with them. I think for Williams, Junis, and Means after today's start, his third great start in a row, really his fourth good start in a row, two earned runs or less than four straight. I think Means is back on the right side of that, but I'm I'm still thinking exclusively for points leagues for, for this group. Now, if we dig a little bit deeper and we go really deep, because you've you've essentially set the tone here, which I think is going to set the tone for where I'm going to go with this, but I don't want to not ask it anyways. Well, actually, let me stick with that for one second. I lost my train of thought and was about to move on, but I wanted to ask you, desperation. What if you are in desperation mode? You, you talked about um, maintaining ratios, but if you're in desperation based on, you know, another team's got a clear advantage, you need to accumulate innings. In desperation, is it John Means is the player that you're going to go with if you don't go the middle relief route of those four? My favorite is probably... Mm, the matchups, a, you're, you, said close, it, you said it before, a, one's good and one's not great between all of them. Yeah, it's a really close call between Junis Williams and Means. I think when Junis is good, he has the best chance of getting strikeouts as well, but he has been the least reliable of those three lately. Uh, that's a really tough one. That's really tough. I am, I think I rank Junis the highest of the three, but they're in, they're consecutive, you know? So I don't know if you just have a feeling about one, I'd be fine with that. It's, it's really, it's really a close call between those three. All right. So I want to dig really deep, but I want to go to this email real quick. Cause it talks about one of these players with, uh, you know, performance stuff that I've got two starts next week, but one of these guys went today. So let me first read the email and then I'll give you the Three really deep options that are two starts. The email, this is from Jose. He says, Dear Taylor, Zach, and Isaac. And I thought for a minute, was that the kids from like... Uh, Hanson. Oh, is that Hanson? That's Hanson. Whoa, you knew that. Like, you were, you snap knew that. I thought it was the Tim Allen kids for a minute. Like, hoo, hoo, hoo. like those kids. I can't remember the show name, though. Home Improvement. I got it. I got yeah. Home Improvement like you had Hanson. Do you have a, a Hanson background? <laughs> I don't even know what them. What do you mean by that? Uh, do you have um, a history? Do you have a history with the with the Hanson I, brothers? I know they. I know they sing the song Mbop. I don't think I could 
<laughs> I don't think You're, I could tell you anything else. They well, you could name their names with three seconds. I think they were on all the, the rage in middle school. You you can't escape some of this stuff. Okay, I yeah, that's fair enough. Uh, daily listener and currently enjoying a first round buy in no small small part thanks to you guys. Looking ahead to next week, I'm wondering if I should start Matthew Boyd or a lesser owned two start pitcher. Here's where things get interesting. I'm looking at somebody like Logan Webb, who has been good in two of his three outings. This happened before this outing so far and is slated to get the Pirates and Marlins both at Oracle Park. It's winning time and I'm feeling unsure. How do you guys go about this? Thanks for your help and keep up the great work. We need uh, we need you more now more than ever. And he says, P.S. Salute to the well. She's been a great addition and transition has been seamless even throughout the dog days of late August. That is very kind of you. So there's a two parter. I don't mean to move around here, but he says, First off, before answering Logan Webb, would you go the route of a lesser-owned two-start pitcher for Matt Boyd? Matthew Boyd is probably the most difficult starting pitcher to deal with right now because I think he is an excellent pitcher with two fatal flaws. Homer prone like woe and pitches for the Tigers. So what is his win potential? He got a win today. Good for him. Yeah, he went six and one third. Six and one third. Oh, I didn't, you know, I didn't write that down. Six and one third, three earned runs, six strikeouts. I did find it interesting. 91% owned, only 56% start out there. Yeah, well, he's been so bad lately. Um, And the upside is limited by the sub 500 record. I mean, the most fantasy leagues that, that hurts. That That hurts. hurts. It's not, well, it's not, we don't normally think of it as predictive, though, when the Tigers is your team, it kind of is. Um, <laughs> <laughs> subtle dig, that's a very subtle dig where you're just like, no, no, but if you're a Tiger, I mean, it, you could have copy and pasted that to Mets fans as well, but I get what you're saying. Tiger fans really, they've I mean, had it rough. Come on. Yeah, yeah I got gotcha. you. Okay, so to the question marks of Matt Boyd, he asked about Logan Webb. Logan Webb, yeah. he got rocked on Thursday. Two and two thirds, seven earned runs, two strikeouts. 22% owned, but to what he said, they're actually pretty good matchups, Pittsburgh and Miami. The other two really deep starters I put out, I was looking at for next week, is your boy, Eliezer Hernandez, 12% owned, Milwaukee and San Francisco, and Patrick Sandoval, who's only 6% owned. He's got Cleveland and Tampa. Now, I know Patrick Sandoval has been kind of blah. I think Webb, after this start, is very blah, but his idea of benching a guy like Boyd for a lesser own two start pitcher. He's talking about guys like Hernandez, Webb and Sandoval. So with those three, is this something you would entertain? And are those three even entertainable for next week? Logan Webb is my favorite two start sleeper for this upcoming week. I felt better about it before today's start, which was disastrous sure. against the Cardinals as you, I don't know if you gave the exact line. Yes. Bad uh, two and two thirds, seven earned runs, two walks, two strikeouts, all the badness. Yeah. All the badness. But, I think he is, I mean he's he's an elite ground ball pitcher who also has a respectable strikeout ability. He can, he can get strikeouts. Uh he's shown this consistently in the minors and you know two of his four starts have been really good now. The fact it's two incredible matchups in the most pitcher friendly park in baseball uh, if I am going to stick my neck out for any highly available pitcher next week, it's Logan Webb. Now Versus Matthew Boyd, I would normally say go with Boyd. But Boyd is facing the Yankees and has severe home run issues. I think, I think, I think I'd go Webb. Over Matt Boyd. 
I think so. Say it. I want to hear you say it. I would go <laughs> certainly in a points. <laughs> Caveat. Can I hedge a little? You're no? definitely hedging. I don't. I don't want a non-hedge statement. I want to hear uh, Logan Webb over Boyd. If you can fit him on your roster. <laughs> Logan Webb over Matthew Boyd. I love it. That's really good. You bring up a great point, though, when you start talking about these high percentage type of guys and the question marks. I was poking at you a little bit about it or just, you know, poking to get uh, your thought process on it. And, you know, the the upcoming week, there's a lot of like 90 percent owned players are out there. And and I took a little peek. I was going through some matchups. I've got three guys for you here of are you okay to start these highly owned players for next week? Here are the three. Wade Miley, who is 95% owned and got shellacked on Thursday. He didn't even get an out. Gave up five hits, five earned runs, no strikeouts. He had not made it to the sixth inning. He has not made it since uh, to the sixth inning since August 2nd. And third start in his last six where he has gone under four innings. So Wade Miley, by the way, he's got Oakland and Kansas City are the two starts for next week. Zach Wheeler, who's got Arizona and then the Dodgers and then Jose Barrios, who we talked about, who's got Washington and Cleveland. I look at the matchups for Wheeler and Barrios and it pauses for me a big time. But Miley was so trash and has been relative garbage as of late, even though he's got two great matchups. Are you okay doing the two starts for these guys next week? I'm okay with all three. I'm only okay with all three. They are they are not in the must-start tier in my two-star pitcher rankings. They are in the questionables and sleepers tiers. Obviously, they all fit uh, fit the description of questionables. Uh, Barrios, I mean, this is the same argument we've been making all year. He's been knocked around lately, and I think in a way that was fairly predictable, and yet... The alternatives you're looking at are somebody like Logan Webb, who we see what can happen to him. Yeah. You know, like no no pitcher you're going to find out there has lower downside has their downside is any more favorable than whatever hope it's Jose Barrios is, and we know Barrios has much more upside. So, uh, and that's kind of true for all three of these. I do worry a little about what's going on with Wheeler's stuff because he just hasn't been getting. Missing bats like he was before. And in his most recent start, his average fastball velocity was down like a mile per hour and a half. And he's stepping into the lion's den with a red-hot Arizona and then the Dodgers. I don't need to put any other uh, adjective in front of it. It is the Dodgers. Yeah. Um, you know, if you happen to have real rotation depth, you're not scouring the waiver wire for two-start sleepers, then there may be a justification to sit any of these three, I'd be most likely to sit probably Wheeler followed by Miley followed by Barrios. That's how likely I would be to sit them just to be clear. Um, or if, you know, if, if it's a, if it's a scenario where you're most interested in protecting ERA and whip as opposed to accumulating other numbers, then again, it might be justifiable to sit these and just avoid any potential damage they might cause. But I think most owners, uh, you know, 80% of their owners will probably just need to stick with them. Um, we're not done with two-star pitchers, but we are going to take a quick break right here in Fantasy Baseball today. More two starts, some standouts, news and notes. There's some injury stuff and tons of ads. So quick break. Let's go. Robert Half Research indicates nine out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. 
Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. So just finishing up with two-star pitchers, I feel like we've, we've, there's some good work done here. There's the middle line guys, the really deep guys, the questionable marks. So the one thing we haven't done yet, Scott, is throw it to you for any other notes. Do you have somebody that stands out that we haven't talked about? Do you have a worry on the upper echelon that needs to be voiced? Any other news and notes from you for two-star pitchers next week? Well, we didn't include Bauer among those, those that last trio. I almost did. I almost did. Wheeler and Miley. And I'd be most likely to start Bauer of any of them, actually. A matchup. The Seattle matchup. I was about to put him in, but there's a bit. Again, I'm, I'm the superstitious one. Little revenge game against Arizona, though it's against Gallon. I'm all about the revenge game. And the Seattle matchup is really good. I would be hard-pressed to not start him, even though they're both road games. That was the only factor that didn't make me put him in there was the favorable, at least one of the favorable matchups. Yeah. And I, you know, he, I would consider him there with Barrios and that I, I'm not, I'm not going to go as far as to call him must start, but 80% of his owners, you, you just got to pursue the upside there because the downside is just as, just as bad for anything else you could pick up. Uh, I think must starts who maybe people wouldn't necessarily regard as such are Zach Gallen and Ryan Yarbrough. Uh, oh, and I might need to move Max Freed into that category, actually, after the way he looked tonight. Uh, Max Freed, I am becoming bullish on. Dude, let me tell you something. When, again, and I know I do this, so, you know, deal with it, but I talk a lot about the Arizona Fall League because it's a chance to catch a lot of these guys, and I've been doing it for years, and you get a lot of these guys before their major league run, and when Freed was out here, the way he was throwing his curveball was so devastating. It was just the stuff he was doing just made your eyes kind of pop a little bit. But then you're just like, he doesn't get the love of the rest of the Kyle Wrights and the Ian Andersons and stuff like that. <laughs> Through an absolute gym, seven, one hit, no earned runs, no walks, nine strikeouts on Thursday. And I, I totally agree with you. Against the Nationals. Yeah, against the Nationals. And he's got Philly, and then the Nationals coming up again. Yeah, no doubt. Yeah, and that was coming off an 11-strikeout effort last time out. He has one of the biggest differences between his actual ERA and his XFIP. Uh, you know, he's had bad home run luck, I would say, because he's one of the top five ground ball pitchers in baseball with this GIF-worthy arsenal that you talk about that's, you know, led to a pretty good strikeout rate as it is. But I, I think maybe there's even upside beyond that. Uh, Max Freed, beyond just the fact he's a two-star pitcher and, you know, two tough matchups, but whatever. <laughs> it doesn't seem to be phasing him lately. Um, you know, he's he's right up there with Zach Gallen in terms of who I would consider among my most favored breakout pitchers uh, next year. And that that's kind of funny to say that because he has a 16-4 and record. But, you know, I don't think most people just looking at the ERA and whip would... Um, he doesn't jump off the page as the person people are like, oh, that's the guy who's the 25th pitcher in all of baseball or, or some arbitrary number like that. But beyond just what he's done his last two starts, his past seven, Max Fried has a 290 ERA, 107 whip, which is a vast improvement over a season long whip and 11.4 K per nine. So he might, you know, that might be evidence right there of him turning a corner. 
Uh, very good. So you guys can uh, make sure you're um, on the scouring for all of Scott's good content and you guys, as you guys are prepping. But I think that's a good uh, baseline for the two start pitchers. We do have some Thursday standouts. I want to get Scott's, but mine are going to be of the double dong variety. And so I've got three quick players for you. Bo Bichette, three RBIs, ninth and 10th homer on Thursday. Brian Reynolds, who I am increasingly falling in love with, uh, 15th and 16th homer. And then Austin Nola, I believe five RBIs hit his eighth and ninth home run on Thursday. Some standout worthy players. But Scott, do you have any guys that uh, you want to make sure that are highlighted as your standout for Thursday? I do. I always do have players to highlight as my standouts. And um, I'm going to I'm going to get those players to you momentarily here. Um, I'm so bad at stalling. I was about to say, so if I was like, if I broke the the fourth wall, like you did, I would say you're doing a great job making people think that you don't have the guy yet. Kyle Schwarber. He hit his 33rd home run today and his 10th home run in his past 34th, by the way, 34. Okay. There you go. His 10th home run in his past 28 games during which he's hitting 302 with an 1100, a little less than 1,100 OPS. His BABIP is less than 300 during that stretch. And uh, I I don't know. I'm seeing some encouraging signs here from Schorber of late. His strikeout rate is down significantly in the second half. He is top 10 in baseball in hard hit rate, according to Baseball Savant, and top 15 in average exit velocity. Uh, So he's been hitting the ball really hard. He's been thriving despite a low BABIP, and he's striking out less. I don't know. He might be, I mean, shoot, 34 home runs. I, I don't know that he's, I, I guess the fact he since he gets left-handed sometimes puts him, you know, a little below the Jorge Soler tier, but, uh, you know, he maybe maybe not by much. He's one of those guys that's so interesting because, you know, I brought up like Jorge, you just mentioned Jorge Soler and like how he has the potential. He's going to move up a good amount, but it's going to be more about him coming up and a guy like Chris Davis coming backwards. But at the same time, just paying for middle average homer guys in the middle rounds of your drafts will never make sense because guys like Kyle Schwarber, they're the reason that you can keep pushing back. They're the reason you get speed and potentially pitching early because you're going to be able to pick up guys like Kyle Schwarber. You know, if you get a 240 average and 35 homers, we're going to be able to deal with that just fine. He's a sneaky play for next year and quietly done it, I believe, as well. Yeah, Without I mean, fanfare I don't know if way. I totally agree with. I, I'm getting, I'm getting some, I'm getting pretty. What do you not agree with? Pretty wary of the the breathless pursuit of stolen bases early in drafts because if you're just okay, yeah, you can make up home runs later for sure. Can you Easy. make up batting average later, and can you make up everything that goes with it later in terms of? run scoring potential specifically to your to your point there's an argument to be said though that you know if you're going to take a category to punt average might be the most puntable strategy not that everyone wants to go into drafts punting i prefer to be well balanced but there's a there's a spot where you say do i sacrifice the average to make sure that i've got the big power numbers where the power numbers also come runs and rbis i think that's where a little bit of the i i do agree it can be overplayed I didn't make that play in the two early mocks that I just did, but I think I think there's a middle ground between crazy diving all in for stolen bases and avoiding incredible talent, and while at the same time 
avoiding it and thinking it's overplayed. I think there's a middle ground in there. That that's where I sit. I think well, I'm I'm going off this early mock draft you're taking part in, and uh, I, I think I think it's more on the crazy <laughs> pursuit. It's more on the there crazy is. spectrum right now. Um, looking at how early Jonathan VR went third round. Uh, I think Vic, Victor Robles went in like the sixth round or something. I was hoping for him late. Yeah, you're right. No, the he speed went before is George Springer, Victor Robles. The speed is a disaster. Better. Okay, yeah. so to your point, I mean, you, you do bring up a fair point. I mean, we're getting into the 2020 stuff. There is going to be an aggressive pursuit that might enable people to play the pivot strategy. And there's nothing wrong. And the pivot yeah. strategy you might be able to do a lot of good stuff with if you're comfortable with guys like. Malik Smith and Delano Shields, Delano DeShields much, much later. But pivoting, I mean, you are a pivoter right now. And I think there's nothing wrong with that. Well, I've seen somebody suggest to take Adalberto, the Adalberto Mondesi in a five by five league. Obviously, it's the one that emphasizes the format that emphasizes steals the most. Yeah. Mondesi is a first rounder in that format. I'm having trouble fitting Nolan Arenado into my first round. You're going to pass up a bat like that for. For Adalberto Mondesi, who as much as I liked him coming in, I, I think, you know, I, I've been wrong about him in some ways. Basically, steals are the only thing you can count on him for. And no. That's a little crazy talk to me, though. That, that's too chase. Not, I'm, not, I'm saying the Mondesi no, what, in the first round. That's too the much. argument about him in the first round, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, again, yeah, like I, I've been doing breakdowns on ITL about what the talent that deserves to be per round and you start looking at what the first and second round talent is, and I get the chase for Mondesi, but it just doesn't make sense. It just doesn't. It, it's it's overplayed to your point. All right, a uh, little good 2020 talk here. How about some news and notes? This is an important one. Probably deserved to go a little bit earlier, but the Cubs placed Craig Kimbrell on the 10-day IL retroactive to September 2nd with right elbow inflammation. Not good, Bob. Not great for my fantasy team that I don't want to jinx here. Pedro Strope will likely get the save chances while Kimbrell is out. Where are you speculating? I think I saw another name in there beyond Strope and Ciszek. and I saw Trent Holland pitch tonight, but it was in a non-save situation, if that was one. I think it's going to be like a wide-open committee because the other times we've seen Kimbrell go on the IL, that's what they've done. Like, There's not a clear enough um, option to step in, so yeah. I'm not, you know... You're not picking up Ciszek or or Strope? I mean... I guess if I lean toward anybody, it would be Strope. And I'm honestly not even sure what he's done since returning from the, the IL, if it's been too horrible to justify. But he's he's the only one that Joe Mann has shown favoritism for in the past. Eh, he hasn't been great. Not great, Bob. No, not great, Bob. I Yeah, I saw mention of maybe Rowan Wick uh, being an option. And his numbers are solid, but... You might be better playing in a different pool. I know the save opportunities are high in, in Chicago, which makes it a nice thing. But maybe a guy like uh, Joe Jimenez, 32% owned, got his fifth save of the year. It was his first since yeah, August but he's, 20- he's, he's a yeah. Tiger, right? <laughs> and I just don't. I mean, he hasn't been pitching well. Yeah, I think it's, I'm just saying. call him junk. Okay, would you rather have him on that these days? Would you? Oh, I mean, it's all in jest. Would you rather have Jimenez or would you rather have uh, speculate on one of the Cubs options? Jimenez, okay. if, if, you're, if you're going to force me into that that corner. Yeah. Well, well, sometimes we have to. Sometimes the best decisions are made on 
uh, the backs of our feet. Uh, speaking of the Cubs, <laughs> Javier Baez was scratched from the Cubs starting lineup on Thursday due to lingering soreness in his left thumb. Not great. Tommy Pham was removed from Thursday's game against the Blue Jays due to right forearm tightness after stealing his 20th base. And boy, you want to talk about the the payment of uh, stolen bases in 2020. I mean, I don't want to do it because we'll get off track again, but Tommy Pham is one of those guys that is, a um, you know, you miss out on Mondesi and then Tommy Pham's going in the late third round justifiably or not. Um, Michael Thomas has suffered a setback and he may not be back in 2019, which is probably not much of a bummer to anybody who are actually out using him. And the David Price is not going to start on Friday against the Yankees. He reportedly felt tightness in his left wrist where he's developed what I can only garner up as a bunch of words scrambled together to form the triangular fibrocartilage complex cyst. Did I do mm. that right? I, I guess it sounds like a new like optic cable, you know? I mean, can't they just say like, he just wasn't feeling good. It's like his wrist wasn't good. The, the triangular fibrocartilage complex cyst, the TFCC is what, and everybody's just like running to WebMD right now. And they're like, oh, I probably have that. But David Price is not going to be there. Are you right? That. That's good enough. Yeah, I yeah. totally agree. That is enough. All right. Uh, let's take one more quick break here right here on Fantasy Baseball today. We are going to get to all of the ads. We're going to look at some of the most viewed players. And then I got a bunch of, uh, you know, who'd you rathers? Are you adding these guys? Are they under-owned? So quick break, Fantasy Baseball today. Right back at you. Over the last week, Mr. Scott White, here are the three most added pitchers. Sean Manaya. Had the biggest percentage move, I believe, 41%, now owns 63% of the time. Jordan Lyles is from 47 to 62%, and Anthony Desclafani, 57 to 70%. Is there, do you believe there's some under-ownage at all with a guy like Manaya or Desclafani, or do you think people are on the right track, this is the right direction, and these are three pitchers that should be the top three added? Manaya and Desclafani, I think, are both both um, among the pitchers that are uh, somewhat available. Uh, I think they have the best chance of helping you down the stretch. Desclafani, I think is one of the few truly boring options out there, which I say, which I mean in the nicest way possible in that, you know, it may not be great what he gives you, but it probably won't be terrible either. And that's, you know, that's a lot more than a lot of pitchers are giving you these days. Manaya, I have some hope that maybe, uh, Maybe he's a pretty reliable option down the stretch. Lyles, I'm not really buying into at all. You're not there. The most viewed player of all, probably not a shocker because I believe the start is coming up here maybe on Friday, if I'm remembering correctly, Brendan McKay, who's 51% owned. So less than those guys that I just told you about. How I see, you know, people are trying to take their shot. They're shooting their shot. Sean Maniah, by the way, was the number two most, but I mean, Brendan McKay almost doubles it. Do you think people are trying to shoot their shot? And how comfortable are you shooting that shot with Brendan McKay and the volatility that not only has the rookie pitchers had, but he has? You were just talking earlier about guys that you'd almost rather not roster and you put a middle reliever out there to mess with your ratios. If he's going Friday, are you comfortable risking it all on Brendan McKay? No. No. Uh, it's okay to it's okay to view him, but I would not add him. I certainly would not start him. And you know, he'll probably be good someday, but it's not, I'm not, I'm not about to gamble on it being today. No, uh, the most added hitters. I've got four for you. 
they all ended around the relative range here. So uh, let's see if maybe some of these guys are possibly under-owned here. Gavin Lux, the most added, 42% up uh, to 67%. No shocker there. Kevin Newman went from 42 to 59 he was one for four. He's got 10 hits in his last 19 at-bats, by the way. He was one for four on Thursday. Colton Wong, who got a lot of run yesterday, 43 up to 56% owned. He was actually the third most added hitter. He was one for four, and he's got hits in 12 of his last 14 games. And then you got Jerkson Profar, who's uh, went from 49 to 62%. So what do you make do of this list as far as must-own, must-starts, bench players to under-owned uh, parse this out for me. Uh, Lux is the one to add, and the others probably not. I mean, Newman and Wong, they, there's the potential that they could give you kind of a hollow batting average. Uh, but if you're trying to make up ground in batting average in a rotary, I mean, that's just not that's not a winning strategy at all. Um, you know, maybe. If you're playing like uh, if you're looking at what your opponent has in a head-to-head categories league, it might make some sense. But that's really the only scenario where I see it, apart from leagues that are just so deep that you have to go that reach that far into the second base pool. Do, who do you dislike the most here? Maybe that's a better way to put it. I feel like I want to, I want to say you're gonna go with Profar as your most hated of these three. Hmm. It's Profar. I think Profar is the least usable. I don't know that he's the lowest upside, but he's the least usable, especially since they have uh, Sheldon Noisy there uh, competing for starts at second base, too. It looks like Profar's gotten some time in the outfield, but that's at the expense of Seth Brown. So, uh, you know, um, I'd be interested in hearing more about maybe if Profar has made some adjustments that are... um, well, you know what? His numbers recently aren't even as good as I thought they were. So never mind. So it's just not that good. Easy cut. Why doesn't everybody love me? These are two guys that are under 25% owned. And we've been talking a lot about them. Nick Solak. One for three. Two RBIs hit his second homer. He has now played 16 games and only four times as he not had a hit. 19% owned. And how about John Birdie? who's 23% owned. He went two for five, four runs, four runs. Uh, he's got a 278 average, four homers and seven stolen bases in August. So he's just continuing to do the stuff. John Birdie, Nick Solak. Why doesn't everybody love them? Uh, I, I mean, I would say it's just because there are too many infielders who are too high end to even bother with this next rung of the ladder, but when you compare their ownerships to the last group we talked about, Colton Wong, Jerks, and Profar, I agree. It doesn't make a lot of sense. Um, You know, part of it is I just think they've entered the discussion so recently while those others have been there since the beginning. I mean, Profar was universally drafted. Wong was very popular pickup in April. So that, that probably has a lot to do with it. Maybe the majority to do with it, frankly. Solak, right under Lux as far as your desired ownership. Would I? Would that be correct? Solak over Wong and Newman? Hello, Newman. <laughs> yeah, I mean, unless you're specifically looking for batting average, which isn't a great approach anyway. Which we know we can punt from my 
great take earlier. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know that I totally agree with that. <laughs> but that, that might be a better conversation to save for another day. <laughs> I know. I'm just poking. Am I underowned? All of these guys, the okay, answer is probably yes, but I want you to pick the one that's the most egregious of under-ownership. Ben Zobris, who is 6% owned, went 3-for-3 three three with three runs on Thursday. Harold Ramirez hit his 10th homer of the year. He's got three homers in his last six games, only 9% owned. Jose Iglesias, 1-for-5 with two RBIs, hit his 11th homer on Thursday. Second straight game with a homer, and he hit 359 with only two homers and a stolen base in August. But he had 33 hits and 92 at-bats in August. And then Brandon Dixon, who has an incredibly quiet 15 homers. He's only 6% owned, multi-hit games in two of his last three coming into Thursday. So they all have a combined ownership, I believe, of 32% if you take all four of them together. So who is the guy that this needs to be rectified with? Who are you making the case for? I mean, maybe Zobrist. He just got back after a long layoff dealing with personal stuff, Um, you know. Reach base five times today as the Cubs leadoff hitter. If he is the Cubs everyday leadoff hitter and they have had trouble filling that leadoff spot, they've had trouble filling second base this year with somebody they like. Uh, so I could see it. And I, I think uh, I think there's a potential knowing his on base ability and the hitters hitting behind him. He could be a significant run scorer the rest of the way. So Zobrist, I think, is the is the best choice of these. Uh, you know, I'd put him behind like Solak and of course. Gavin Lux, I'm talking about middle infielders to add. But. Ooh, would you like Zobrist over Newman? Um, not right now. I, I mean, I have to be convinced he's playing every day first. Over Profar, though, because you hate Profar. Yeah, uh, yeah, I think so. Okay. Um, let's get back to some pitchers here. Are we adding these guys? These guys are right in the the middle, the fringy area, just around our under 50% own, so wild, probably wildly available. Three guys for you. Nathan Eovaldi, who's 44% owned on Thursday, went five, gave up one earned run, walked four, struck out three, but it was his first time going five innings since April 17th. There's reasons behind that, of course. He's got Toronto and then Philly coming up. Uh, Martin Perez, who's 50% owned, went six innings, gave up one earned run, walked two, only struck out one. He was lit up in his last start where he went two and two thirds, gave up three earned runs. He's got Washington next. And Reynaldo Lopez, who's 46% owned, had a gem. Nine innings, gave up one earned run. Oh, no, he didn't give up an earned run. Maybe I think I wrote that wrong. Uh, but he had 11 strikeouts. He had went two-thirds of an inning with six earned runs in his last start. He's got Casey, then Seattle. So, Reynaldo Lopez, Martin Perez, Nathan Eovaldi. Who do we want? I might pick up Lopez if that Kansas City start goes well then I think you have a pretty good sleeper for that Seattle start. And I was right, by the way. He did give up an earned run. For whatever reason, I questioned everything I did. But he one earned run, three walks, 11 strikeouts, only gave up one hit in nine innings. Yeah, uh, he has these flashes of brilliance, Lopez, like today, where he looks like he could... I mean, he was a very high-end prospect when he made his way to the majors with the nationals loved him absolutely loved him i was shocked he was put in that trade it was just like he's the yeah. throw-in guy him him and dane dunning are going with lucas giolito what and he was one of those prospects that always had kind of the well maybe he'd better be be better off in the bullpen um you know that kind of angle going for him which yeah. internally it's hard to tell how his you know you got the prospect evaluator saying that how is he regarded internally yeah but anyway that's neither here nor there um, every time he has one of these starts, they always attribute it to focus. 
uh, his, you know, his pitching coach, his manager. And I don't know, you know, that that's more, I, I feel like that's not something I can speak to in my role because I don't know <laughs> what he's like. Yeah. What does that even mean? Like, what does that even mean? Like, oh, he's focused today. Let's get to the bottom of why is he not focused at other times? That yeah. That's well, I mean, look, it means something. I I certainly have days where I'm not focused and I don't do my job as well when I'm not focused. I think that's, I think you can apply that pretty easily to a, a baseball context. But um, that's very, I mean, that was very humanistic of you. I appreciate that. I don't like to. I don't like to think of baseball players as humans. They're super human hybrids <laughs> of uh, you know practically wearing capes. So I don't think of like real life things that affect. But it is true. It absolutely. I mean, look at Ben Zobras, perfect example, going through a very personal matter. Um, you know, with marriage and stuff, and he was out for like three months. Three or four well, I mean, baseball that. especially requires such a high level of precision. Pitching is better. Well, I guess pitching or hitting both do. Um, I mean, I'm I'm not somebody who's really that you know has a lot of athletic uh, prowess experience in no. his history. But I think of just something like you go play putt putt. You know, <laughs> like if you're not totally focused on that putt, you're gonna miss it. You know, <laughs> like. I, I don't know. It's probably an oversimplification, but I, I think there's something to it. I mean, I do like the idea that you just compared putt-putt to Reynaldo Lopez going <laughs> nine and striking out 11. I can appreciate that, but he is the pick. All right. A uh, little bit deeper, little bit fringier. Adding these pitchers, Jason Vargas, he went five and one third, gave up two, struck out six. He's got Atlanta and then Boston. Ugh. Colby Allard, who's only 31% owned, went six and two thirds, gave up one earned run, walked two, struck out two. Pretty decent as of recent. His last start, he went five and two-thirds, gave up two, struck out four, and then he had that really good one where he struck out eight, no earned runs given, and six and one-third. He's got Tampa and then Oakland. And then finally, Brett Anderson, who had a less than stellar day, five innings, gave up five, struck out four. His previous two both went uh, six with quality starts, so he's got Houston and then Texas. Those are the next matchups for all those guys. So Allard, Vargas, Anderson, Choose your side and choose wisely. I will say, uh, I'll say Allard's the guy here. If I had to pick one, I don't think I, you I, must. I don't, the group to get excited about in general. Um, but you know, I've, I've continued to express some optimism for Allard that he hasn't, necess- he hasn't really let me down on. He hasn't, I think done anything to really open anybody's eyes either. So he's, you know, he's pretty fringy. If, if he happens to have, yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. I don't know that he's going to be usable the rest of the way. I don't know that any of these three are. I mean, you and you've kind of set the standard as we're, I'm, we're just poking around, you know, trying to spark something in everybody's minds here. I, You know, as we talk about the players, it's going to help people move in different directions. But you did kind of oh. set the standard where you were saying, like, these 45% own, the fringy type of pitchers that I brought up earlier, like the Jake Junises. Those are guys that, you know, if all things are considered, you'd probably rather go ratios with middle infielders. So as we dig deeper, it's it's more of a push, and we're finding these guys if people really have to press themselves. That's why Allen yeah. is the option. I, can I – I didn't quite finish to the point – Please. Finish the point I was building to on Lopez because I got sidetracked. Oh, yeah, yeah, please do. Sorry, I didn't mean to move us past. But, no, it's fine. Um, So he has these flashes, and, and, and when they happen – they they attribute it to to focus. Well, I noticed his slider was especially effective in this game. Ten swinging strikes on the slider, and that has been a pitch specifically that's been up and down for him. But he has occasional games like this where it's just really effective. And I just wonder if if that's something he can harness um, 
you know, more consistently, if he can figure out a way to get him to lock in better, uh, then maybe he's a guy who we talk about as a potential breakout candidate next year. I'm, you know, I'm not as bullish on him as the others, but these flashes have to mean something. I'm a believer in the flashes too. I think, as you know, you talk about focus and you talk about um, the teachability of a lot of players. There's something to me that I get really locked into when a player can fail at a miserable mark and can succeed at a really high level. That I feel like what it does is it, it creates, I don't, it, it creates like a pathway of understanding on both sides. They know what the success of the results look like and they know exactly what it looks like when it falls apart. And I know I'm, I'm, it's a simplistic thing I'm saying, but I don't think there's all the pitchers and all the hitters out there will necessarily have that baseline. Sometimes it's long stints of fail and then long stints of success. And there's not enough time in between where you can take those and mold them together. It was something I loved about Rafael Devers as a prospect before he came up. I remember the year, the year that he kind of broke out, he had this atrocious first month or two of the season. Everyone wrote him off and then he just went gangbusters at the end. So there's something about high ends of levels of success and failure that make players better. So to your point, if those things click they follow the the tea leaves there then reynaldo lopez could be a breakout candidate that was deep thank neural you. pathways wow yeah look at that been listening to joe rogan or something all right uh how about some <laughs> not so great performances from thursday zach please zach 76 owned it's gonna be less after he went five gave up six four strikeouts though three of his last four starts he's given up four or more earned runs he's got the angels in minnesota coming up and then jose quintana Five innings, four earned runs, five strikeouts. It's not some great performances. And we've mentioned a couple of the others, guys like Brett Anderson. I don't know what you do with that. Does Plesak worry you at all that he's given oh, up yeah. four more? Okay. I don't think he's very good. I've been saying that for a while now. There's not any one thing that he really excels at. And uh, I think this environment is just going to eat him up. And it may have already started here. So, yeah, 76%, I think, is vastly overowned, especially, you know, Matchup against Minnesota coming up. Forget about it. Yeah. Quintana, I mean, yeah, it wasn't great. Four and runs in five. Doesn't move you off, though. It also was the the kind of boring start I think you you have to regard as kind of good in this environment. And and since Quintana has had a lot of good ones lately, uh, I he's a two-star pitcher next week. I think he's must-start. Yeah, that, that's a really good point. That's a really good point you made. Uh, rotationally, a couple other notes, some notables. Uh, I'm going to actually give you some pitching and hitting notables, then bullpen, and we're going to answer some of your questions. We already talked about Max Freed. How about Dakota Hudson, who I feel like you went on uh, about a couple times. Maybe it was earlier this week or last week. 87% owned, got his 15th win, went six, gave up one hit. He did only strike out two. But a pretty dominating performance, and I feel like you were waxing some positive poetic comments on Dakota recently. Did I make that up? Well, Dakota Hudson is the—it's kind of the opposite of what I was saying about Plesak. Hudson has one thing he very much excels at. He's the best ground ball pitcher in baseball, and suddenly he now has given up a total of—what uh, uh, is it? It's— it's a ridiculously known, an unbelievably low number. Seven total hits in his past four starts. You know, obviously that isn't going to continue for a non-strikeout pitcher, but I, I think it speaks to how good he is at avoiding hard contact and, you know, preventing. It, it combined with the, his ability to prevent home runs as an extreme ground ball pitcher, I mean, I I don't know. I I he's obviously not somebody we 
fantasy analysts traditionally would gravitate toward. But because competent pitching is so hard to find, I think we have to look a little harder for it. And, um, you know, Hudson has a lot of quality starts this year. Uh, and I don't like if he, you know, I've been making the case. I've made the case a few times that Mike Soroka, who also is an extreme ground ball pitcher and obviously more successful overall than Hudson. I think he has it within him to figure out how to miss more bats going forward. Like he's that's, that's, that's kind of the next step for him. And I think his arsenal is diverse enough and high end enough for him to do that in kind of an Aaron Nola sort of way. Uh, if I, I, I'm not as convinced of that for Dakota Hudson, but it's kind of like, it, this is kind of like the Jeff Luno evaluation method where if, if you can find, you know, the, his time with the Cardinals and later with the Astros, they have such a high success rate on late draft picks. And I've heard it's because he pursues these standout skills and, and, you know, Sometimes it develops into more, and, and maybe that'll be the case with Dakota Hudson. And has been so far. Sonny Gray went six, struck out seven with one earned run on Thursday. Steven Strasburg went six, three earned runs, seven strikeouts, but four walks. On the hitting side, a couple of the notables. Marcus Simeon, four for four, two doubles with his eighth stolen base. Been phenomenal. Bryce Harper had a couple stolen bases, five stolen bases since August 15th. So if you're not going to hit for average, at least when you get on, steal some bases. And he didn't do it with Pete Alonzo, Scott, but Mike Trout hit his 45th homer to tie Pete Alonzo at two for three with two RBIs. And as you and I were talking, we didn't do any more research on it, but I felt I felt very underwhelmed after my super exciting time spent realizing that Alonzo and Trout had 13 homers on the same day throughout the season. And then we started talking and it felt like probably everybody does. At least nobody did the work and reaffirmed it for me. So I have a little bit of belief in my mind that like what I did was special. Though it wasn't. <laughs> yeah, I think I think they were right on target probability wise. Yeah, but. probably uh, over on the bullpen. We talked about Joe Jimenez. Leclerc had his 10th save. Taylor Rogers got his 24th save, by the way, five saves since August 24th. Emilio Pagan with his 18th and Genesis Cabrera. Got a three-inning save, his first of the year for the Cardinals. So what an outing that was. Hudson to Cabrera, and then lights out. You already said LeClerc not interested. Jimenez possibly interested. Rodgers and Pagan, they're just those cheap save options you picked up later that they're absolutely just doing everything you need yeah, them to do right now. No, I'm not totally disinterested in LeClerc. I think he's better than Jimenez. He has great strikeout ability. He has been frustrating this year. Um, but it seems like they're committed to giving him all the save chances down the stretch. He's about there with like Mark Melanson for, I, I put Melanson a little ahead of him, okay. but I think he's better than Melanson. Just obviously worse situation. Some emails. We're going to try to get some in here. You can email in fantasy baseball at cbsi.com and I will be here to make sure we get them in as best as possible. JT in Boston, need better option than Sinzel is my only second baseman for the last three days of my semis in a tight head-to-head league with OBP. Options here, Castro, Edmund, Kingry, anyone else at second base or third base, he's got McNeil in his corner infield, but could uh, but could be my second baseman too. So you're cutting Sinzel, you're cutting him for Castro, Edmund, or Kingry. Um, hmm. Wish I had my hitter matchups here. In front of me to tell you who is the best of those. Uh, doesn't look like. Let's see. Let me see if I can figure this out real quick. Uh, Edmund has good matchups, but he's probably my least favorite player. Castro, who, ca- who, who are we talking about? Castro. Starling Castro. Starling Castro. Another couple hits. He had two more hits on Thursday night. 
Yeah. Oh, the Marlins actually have great matchups. So he might be the choice there if, Ooh, if we're going to go week by week. Uh, let me see. Because he asked anyone else. Uh, and considering the options, the it sounds like a pretty deep scenario, the options he's considering here. So, you know, my boy Joe Kipnis under own, but they're facing three lefties this week. Yeah, I think Starlin Castro sounds like the best choice. Okay, and this is good. You know, there's another question Jim asked. He asked about picking up Castro or Wong or Kingry rest of year. It's a keeper league, 5 by 5 OBP. Assuming Castro is still the guy, or pick Wong or Kingry, however you want to do it. Do whatever you want. It's a it's a free Friday here. Would you cut Kane or Fletcher for any of those three? Kane or Fletcher? Um, Your boy Kipnis is out there, and as is Arise, also available. I... I, I He's talking about Lorenzo Kane, right? Yes. There's not another Kane, right? No. <laughs> I hate when they leave out the first name. Not enable. Um, <laughs> uh, five by five OBP. Oh man, I I think I think Kane and Fletcher are better players. I I don't think they're untouchable. I don't think they're undroppable. You know, if you wanted to go with a hot hand guy, but um, I, I'd probably just stick with them. Dear Brian, Brandon, Derek, Charlie, and Brady. I, I don't know. I'm in the playoffs, head-to-head points, and I'm getting killed so far. My pitching staff is solid, but should I consider... Tra- uh, tra- he can trade right now? He says, should I consider trading uh, my best hitter for an ace with good matchups to ensure I get great starts? Also, can I drop Felipe Vasquez because he never gets save opportunities anymore? I am baffled by leagues that can trade in... September, but there you go. Would you trade an ace for, uh, or would you trade a, your best hitter for an ace at this point? And the fact that you can make roster moves, I guess that's, but a head to head points leak with daily lineup changes. That sounds like a bad idea. That sounds crazy to me. Anyway, you, anyway, you trade anyway, would you trade trout for Scherzer in points? Uh, <laughs> These are weird questions, I gotta say. I don't know. It's a Friday, man. Yeah, weird it. questions. Um, I'm just trying to figure out exactly how what scenario he's talking about here. He's getting killed, so he's talking about the middle of a matchup, right? Yeah. And so we got to think about who these guys are facing the rest of the week, right? Unless it's a two week matchup. I, this is confusing to me. Don't say, do it. Don't, don't trade. do it. I agree. Thank you. That, <laughs> I was literally just about to intervene and just say, don't do it. Um. Two more here. Let's get two more in here. Omar says, hey, guys, would you drop Mark Canna for any of the following to start at utility for the next two weeks? Six by six categories with OBP. You've got Franmil Reyes, Adam Frazier, Kyle Tucker, J.D. Davis, and Eloy Jimenez. Are you dropping Canna for any or multiple of those guys? J.D. Davis is the only one I would consider. Of course. Uh huh. I I think JD Davis is better than Canna, but it's you know it's pretty close. Um, you look at the matchups. Mets match Mets matchups this upcoming week are uh, they're kind of they're okay. Oakland's are worse. So yeah, I would swap out Canna for JD Davis. All right, here's the last one. I'm gonna try to get this in as quick as I can. Hey guys, I know Scott said he's not into superstitions, and I'm usually not either. But there's always a but. Sometimes I just feel like things aren't meant to be. I'm in the second round of my playoffs, and I've got the advantage. In theory, I'm only down 10 points with three extra starters to go. That said, things keep going wrong, and I'm worried. 
the site we play on left Darvish and his 20-point start on the bench, even though he says he knows he put him in. Okay? Brett Anderson was supposed to be an okay stream against the Tigers, and instead they moved him up against the Angels, who aren't the Yankees. But they've also not... I can't say that. All right. My opponent has also bums like Ford and Nostrimsky hitting homers with what feels like a daily occurrence, even though Jay Bruce hit a bomb on his off day. He says, my team has bets and story and Contreras and all these great players. And he's, and he even has JD Davis, the best of all of them. But he says, my superstition makes me worry that I might get eked out by a band of scrubs in the semifinals. It's more nerve wracking and frustrating than fantasy is meant to be. Hopefully the Welsh can put some gallon type voodoo on my opponent and end his daily parade of scrubbery. Uh, he does want to know, do you start, well, you don't start Price against the Yankees because he's not out there. Would you stream Alcantara, Montgomery, or Duffy this weekend? And then you may comment, of course, on any superstition-based um, arguments you have. Would I stream Alcantara, Montgomery, or Duffy? I would. Um, I don't have their matchups in front of me. I, I think Montgomery still has a, a good matchup coming up this week. So he would be my choice. Ooh, I'm streaming Duffy this weekend, too, and I'm nervous about it. That was Mike in New York, who feels, I'm telling you, I think the playoffs bring out the superstition in all of us. Like, well, look, it's not meant is, to I be. I think this is different. I think meant to be, to me, that's more like divine providence, which is something I can get behind. Um, but, like, superstition, I think, of the more of this entirely unrelated act <laughs> I am going to do. In the hopes that something, you know, in a completely different realm of life will have a certain effect. And like that's there, you know, there's no reason behind it. That's that's what I think of. As he did convolute like <laughs> superstition with why isn't it me type of thing. Like, like yeah. you're saying, like he did convolute the two. Your superstition would be like what I said hey, I'm in a great spot, but then I went out and talked trash to my teammates, and now everything's going wrong. That well, would be superstitious. Karma too, right? Yeah, well, karma could be, could uh, be some form of like superstition. Like superstition, oh, I didn't, I didn't, um, you know, I didn't start brushing my teeth on the bottom row this time. So, you know. Ooh, do you have a preferred area, by the way? Up or bottom? I, I don't know. I think bottom. Always bottom. It's got to be bottom. If, think, you, if you start at the top, I'm, I'm, concerned i think yeah. at the top might that might be for serial killers i'm not sure <laughs> you know but now i like it's just such an automatic process that i'm not even sure now well because i mean and you, it goes to the bottom that's how it is all right left or right i feel like i did a good job this is classic me i devolved this a little bit at the end of the episode but guess what it's friday we're trying to have a little fun because the playoffs are meant to be fun all superstition aside all streaming options aside, it's meant to be fun. And I know you're in good hands when you're here over on CBS uh, because Scott White has got you covered. And hopefully I can spit a little bit at you that makes some sense. So two-start pitchers, you need that article. Go check it out. You can follow Scott on Twitter at CBS Scott White. You can get all that good stuff. So I hope it did you good. Hope you guys have a great weekend. Scott White. I am Chris Welsh. Find me on Twitter at Is It The Welsh. And we're going to Kokomo you out of here. Have a good uh, weekend, everybody. <laughs>